Welcome to Before They Change the World, where we explore the minds, ideas, and dreams of exceptional students working on inspiring projects before they change the world. This episode is hosted by me, David, and I speak to Jan, who's currently a computer science student at ETH, doing his master's in machine learning. And he's also the co-founder of Generai, which is a young startup aiming to bring poster quality AI-generated art to the masses. We speak about how Generai was born and their very recent launch, the fast development of the generative AI field, the many applications that have come out of this, some of the controversies that have been raised as well, and lastly, an outlook on Generai's future and the future of the field in general. Jan is really into this field, so I learned a ton from this episode, and I'm sure you will too. All right, with that said, I'll see you on the other side. So I want to start with uh, the story that you told me the first time we met about how Generai was born. Yeah, I mean, as you know, as probably a lot of people know by now, like this whole generative art or generative AI space exploded mm -hmm. uh, in like mid-2022. Since I'm a machine learning student, though, I kind of got the privilege to have gotten wind of this field earlier, like early 2022, yeah. uh, when papers came out, right? So there was this very new and big hype about a new type of models called diffusion models, which now like Dolly and Midjourney and all the big name users. And I saw these papers as well, and I wanted to, of course, try it out myself. And when I saw that uh, the results were even better than I expected, it's specifically now talking about text to image, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, I knew this was going to be big, right? And yeah. there, Dali was just also quite new, came out, nobody knew it. Nobody knew that this technology was this good already. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make something out of it, right? And Generai was born then. And I also quickly realized it's not a one-man project. And then I got some very good friends and also good CS people yeah. on board. And now we're a team of four yeah. and are trying to make something in this field. Awesome. So um, like getting into the weeds of that a bit more. Uh, so you, you, you read these papers. And at that point, I'm not, I'm not sure because I wasn't in that position, but uh, was there already like an open source implementation that you could build off of? Yeah, yeah. The, the cool thing is in AI, the open source community is insane. Yeah. Like we still now, when, when looking at the things we use, um, of course, it's like mostly our own um, edited stuff. But the baseline and all the research even is open source, right? Yeah. So you have so much opportunities lying there for everyone to use. And yeah. this is also why, or probably one big point why this field is thriving so much is because the, the open source community in AI is, is very, very good. Yeah, and this is even before Stability AI yes, uh, yes. was releasing yes, stuff, yes. right? Yeah. So you, you did have like code implementations of some of these diffuser Yes, models. exactly. There's even there's even a website for this called Papers with Code. Papers with Code. Where you mm -hmm. can legit well, that paper was not on there yet, but mm -hmm. I think it should be by now. Yeah. It's like one of the OG diffusion papers, and th yeah, the community in AI is really pushing also to make these kind of things open source. Okay. Right? With stability as well. Yeah. Um, which will hopefully <laughs> stay like this. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Right. So the, you 
did you uh, pull the code or did you pull a pre-trained model for your first like run? Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, for, for the first run, of course, it was just trying to uh, re recreate yeah. the, the results. And the thing is, most of research is really on this realistic side, mm -hmm. right? So uh, what I did first was a most basic approach get a pre-trained model on realism, yeah. right? And try it out. And I saw these results. I, I, first of all, if you see a paper and you see the results, first thing you do is, okay, is it cherry picked, right? Yeah. Because a lot of, especially in like the visual mm -hmm. AI field, right. you cherry pick for your papers, yeah. right? Yeah. And it, uh, of course it was, but it was way less cherry picked than I anticipated compared to like Dolly 1, for example. Mm -hmm. And when I saw this, I really wanted to like make my own, right? Mm -hmm. Thing is, training these models from scratch is yeah, like, <laughs> you need money for this big money. Yeah. Um, so what I did was fine tune it. And I fine tuned mm -hmm. it specifically on art. Mm -hmm. And there was already also a big movement in the art community going on there. Um, so like you have not only the models that are open source, like the one I uh, first initialized, on real images, but you also have big uh, data sets, especially maybe even for art. Um, Lion is like yeah. one of the big ones. Yeah. And like it's, it's really that you have all the tools in your hands, you just need to basically use them to make something for yourself. Right? Nice. Okay. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get into uh, how like these data sets are created and some of the controversies that are yeah, also sure, coming sure. out of this. Um, but uh, so you you used a pre-trained model, you fine-tuned it on an art on data art. set, yeah, exactly. uh, and then you saw an amazing result that you showed me last time, and it's actually on your website as well. Yes, right? exactly. Um, and uh, what yeah, what what did you do like right after you saw that? Was it an instant? Oh, I have to build something now from yeah, this. Yeah, it was really it was this one image, this one castle in the sky image yeah. that like made me realize, holy shit! Like no one knew about this that I knew yeah. and like at ETH we're still the first ones doing this mm -hmm. even though we're in this space yeah. um, or at least that I know of and like when I saw this early in the year where like you know Dolly and uh, mm -hmm. stuff like this wasn't really a big of a thing there I knew okay it's going to be a race against time and I may have struck gold but uh, the more difficult thing is now to actually take this and make a product out of it, right? Yeah. So what what the goal or the initial thought behind it was, of course, I want to make a business concept out of it. And then the result of this was basically taking this new technology, which is which was now it gets less and less uh, tedious to use. But back then it was very tedious to use and make it accessible to the broad masses, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's basically also, I think, one of the principles of Generai, that we want to make this as nice as possible, as accessible as possible, but still be on the very edge of research. Yeah, yeah. So you're um, focusing on uh, text to image and specifically images that resemble art pieces, right? That you could just print on your wall that are yeah, high exactly. resolution. That's yeah, exactly. That's the initial. That was the initial business concept. That's the mm -hmm. one we're pursuing right now. Um, the, but what you also have to say here is that this, this field, it moves insanely fast. <laughs> yeah. I, I've never seen anything like this field in it's research. Yeah. And like what, what text to image was back then, 
is now text to video or text to 3D models right. in current research, right? You don't, you don't see it. Yeah. Uh, Google or Facebook are actually currently publishing stuff like uh, Make a Video or Dream Fusion, it's mm -hmm. called, but it's not in the media yet, right? Mm -hmm. And what, what these models will achieve is the same as the text to image right now, right? Yeah. So there's really nothing, or like if we see a even bigger opportunity there, of course, it could be that Genera is going to be the next music video, uh, text to music video AI right. tool. Uh, but right now we really see the, the potential in the image or specifically AI art sector yeah. and want to stick to it. Yeah. Cool. So you, you said that once you had this initial spark, you spoke to your friends, right? And you brought them on board and now it's uh, four of you? Or? Yeah, it's four. Okay. It's four. It's like 50-50 for everyone. Yeah. And we have all our like kind of roles that we pursue. Mm -hmm. okay. But it's really like, I mean, in the heart, for most of us, I think it's still just a project of four friends, yeah. right? Yeah. That uh, just try to make something cool that people want to use. Yeah. So um, within the team, I guess you're doing a bunch of stuff. Um, but do you have kind of like one thing that you're mostly responsible for? Yeah. I mean, um, when I asked or started asking people, of course, I already had a vague structure in mind, right? I'm not just gonna ask uh, people that I know won't have the skills or won't mm -hmm. fit or the yeah. skills overlap too much. So, and the thing is, uh, all or all four of us are actually uh, computer science master students. So we're not very diverse, but uh, <laughs> it, the thing is I've, I've known every one of them since like 2017. Okay. And uh, yeah, well, I knew when looking at uh, the business concept that I kind of wrote down in OneNote, there it became more and more clear which roles need to be like fulfilled, right? And then I specifically also picked or tried to search for people that not only would fit as a great teammate, but also have the necessary skills, of course. Okay. Yeah, so I, I would like to dive a bit more into this um, business model that you wrote down and like the roles you wanted to fill. Um, do you remember roughly? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's basically the thing is the roles we have, they're, they're very vague, yeah, right? Yeah. Because right now, at least still, uh, luckily, everyone can just like we have uh, hundreds of to do's and we can just pick ones that we like to solve. Yeah. But the thing is, of course, was uh, I mean, in the back of my mind, it always was uh, the potential for something bigger and we should be prepared for this, right? Mm -hmm. And I knew that I was doing a lot of AI, I still like doing a lot of AI, mm -hmm. but I knew that I would probably shift more towards then the business perspective with like, I mean, um, what we call my role now is principal, so I'm more of like the the person to talk to other people, maybe like right <laughs> now we're trying to talk to investors and try to orchestrate things a bit. Yeah. I have, or the first one that came on board was uh, Konstantin Stan. Mm -hmm. um, his title is, I think, Head of Infrastructure. Okay. He's our all-rounder, he's our powerhouse. Um, he really like looks that on the tech side especially, would be uh, everything under control, does uh, cloud inference, stuff like this. Um, what also, of course, is very crucial, um, especially if you want to go B2C, is presentation, right? Mm -hmm. And I have a good friend of mine, uh, Kirill, 
-hmm. He is doing our website and like design, which was a very, very good investment to have like um, one person solely doing this because at the end, uh, it, this is the only thing that customers actually see, right? It's, yeah. it's the, how the product gets wrapped and he's, he's very good at it. We got, yeah. I think the, the most compliments we got was actually about the website <laughs> so far. Yeah. And of course, when I realized that I was more shifting towards the business side, the AI role needed to be filled again, mm -hmm. right? Because I mean, the core of Genrai is being at the edge, at yeah. the front of research in AI. So I asked a good study mate of mine, uh, Nicholas, uh, who is basically the AI cracky now with <laughs> us. And uh, his job is to scout the field and read papers every morning and tell us if wow. there's uh, something new coming out, right? Wow. And if it's worth. So, uh, I mean, that's basically Crazy. all, we, we all do this, right? So yeah. Our job is to now be, be so much informed in this field, pick yeah. the best uh, things that we can do and yeah. put it onto our platform and make it accessible, right? Yeah, amazing. Yeah, no, it sounds like a, a real big challenge because as you said, the field is moving incredibly fast. So, I mean, you have to be reading, I don't know how many papers are actually published a day uh, on, on this topic, but it, it, well, it really depends. But it's crazy. Like I could, I could literally read papers for breakfast nowadays yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, to keep up with the field. Yeah. Um, so from what I could tell uh, on your website, the business model is primarily that you sell credits so that people can generate uh, images, right? So you give them, they get one one prompt per credit or something, and then yeah, exactly. uh, each prompt leads to four images. Right. Yes, um, that's what we started with because it, the credit system, of course, was also the safest option because mm -hmm. we thought about the subscription. Right. But since we right now have like bootstrapped everything, like we have no investors so far, yeah. we did everything ourselves. Um, we didn't want to make any losses. Mm -hmm. And the one or the business concept as a whole that was initially planned is not even done yet because right now, yes, uh, you can create your own art, which is going to be the main feature, right? It's going to be text to image on art, yeah. high quality artworks, and then you can even buy posters from it. Mm -hmm. What will now come in the next few weeks is um, the gallery. Uh, it's, it will act now as a kind of marketplace where if you create something, um, you can actually make it public. Right, so people will also be able to browse and not only create AI art on our website. And if they find something that they like, they can of course also purchase it from other creators, right. which will then give them a commission. Totally. Right? I, that was actually one of the questions I, I said, uh, I had here as a question, can images from the gallery be purchased? And uh, are there plans to also monetize some sort of marketplace? Uh, and I guess doing that through people that create on your platform, that's like, that makes it very scalable. Because exactly, people exactly. Are making because stuff. currently, um, I mean, the only person that can actually buy a poster from an image is its creator, yeah. right? But with the marketplace as well, it should not only encourage people to make their creations public and make good creations such that they get featured in the gallery, yeah. but it also allows people who are maybe at first a bit intimidated to try their own yeah. or just simply want a cool motif that other people already created to have a poster from or a whatever they want to purchase right awesome so um, 
You also now have a, a model of selling prints, which I guess are some of the best images that you've generated yourselves, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that would be part of the marketplace as well, or yes, yes, okay. it's like it exactly. You can uh, in the marketplace, especially. Um, the thing is, we're the the details we're still discussing about yeah, currently. But what will be is basically, yeah, it will be searchable. Like you will be able to search the marketplace for something like. I don't know, Darth Vader riding a horse mm -hmm. to see if someone actually with us already created such a theme. Yeah. And then you can not only get inspiration for your own um, creations, mm -hmm. but if you like something that much, you can directly buy a print or a metal yeah. poster or whatever from okay. the marketplace. Right now, you can only do that from your own creations. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Uh, and then lastly, I saw that you have like a consulting uh, button or something. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, that's like another privilege we have is, as I said, the, the field is moving so fast and we have, a, we have a very good timing. I think we're the first ones in Switzerland even to like bring this technology to the market. Yeah. And now we can basically pick our niche, right? We, we, Start, of course, with B2C because yeah. like that's also, I think, a bit what the team also wanted. We wanted to start with a platform. People, If you see other people using our service, it's really fulfilling. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, B2B is always also an option. So we, we wanted or we still want to scout different possibilities because we also see like now that this field really exploded, a lot of marketing agencies, for example, try to create content with AI generated stuff, but struggle with it. Mm -hmm. And with this, there's also, of course, a possible non-market niche. And since the demand is really high and the su supply is basically only us right now, um, we, we also want to see if B2B is something that we could also incorporate. Yeah, right? yeah it's very nice that you have a a button so that people can come to you yeah, with exactly. like what they're trying to solve or create and then you can take that as inspiration for maybe your next endeavor or something. Exactly. Very nice. Um, so yeah, I wanted to get into um, like the, the technology stack as much as you're willing to share, of course. Um, but so there's quite a lot of models out there. It's just like a, an ocean of, of, of models, architectures, pre-trained uh, models, data sets, uh, etc. So how, how did you navigate this and, and decide on, okay, we want to use this pre-trained model and we want to use this data set or we want to make architectural changes? Like what, what yeah. did you find? Like, um, I mean, in the end, a lot of it is trial and error, mm -hmm. right? And it's a lot of educated guesses. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as you said, um, like right now, what started as one single model that I fine-tuned on art is now a whole pipeline of models. So, so to generate one picture with us, there's like six different models working on one picture. Um, there's even what we try to do, of course, is not only in the image generation itself, but also already prior with uh, the prompt, the text you give, mm -hmm. that we kind of stylize this text mm -hmm. well, such right. that the model understands this um, right. better, right? So right. one, I mean, that's called prompt engineering. Yes. And um, we try to automate basically every aspect of this process with AI as yeah. well. Yeah. And uh, this was also very funny in the early days, um, or the whole field of prompt engineering is still quite hilarious. 
um, because one famous example here is the Unreal Engine trick, <laughs> which I think I already told you about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like um, with these text-to-image models, right? A lot of people come and say or type in the text, okay, I want um, a house, right? Mm -hmm. And you type in a house, you'll get a house, but it's going to be fine. Yeah. And in the early days of these models, people started experimenting with the text a little. So, okay, what happens if I say a house that is shiny or something, mm -hmm. right? What people figured out is the Unreal Engine trick is that if you append Unreal Engine to your text, no matter what you want to create, it will give you a better image, right? So if you want a house and you type in a house, it will give you a, a quite decent image of a house. If you type in a house, Unreal Engine, the model associates Unreal Engine with higher quality images mm -hmm. and will give you consistently better results. Right, <laughs> and what what started as the Unreal Engine trick kind of thing is now a whole field of prompt engineering right. stuff that you can actually still optimize to get the best out of your images. Right. So maybe for the people that are really unfamiliar with this field and don't even know like uh, how they're trained, uh, could you maybe explain why why it is that a keyword like this could influence the output so much? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you find me a person that I can actually <laughs> explain the why, uh -huh. then uh, please get them on this podcast. <laughs> because the funny thing is, like the, the interpretability of these models, it, it, it's not there anymore, right? Mm -hmm. this, this Unreal Engine trick, this was found out with trial and error, yeah. right? And yeah. not even the researchers doing these models now exactly know why. I mean, if you type in something, uh, we've done, uh, we've produced like, over 5,000 images now with our, um, on yes, our platform. Yeah. And I still like, every time I see a text, I still like am very nervous and want to see how it will interpret these things, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. you, you, you can't anticipate these results. It's, it's always, it's, it's random basically, yeah. right? Yeah. And no one image is the same ever, even if you yeah. put in the text, the exact same text twice. So the why is a question I cannot answer, sadly. Yeah, right? yeah, so yeah. the only thing I can say is that from the training data, it must have somehow associated the keywords Unreal Engine with higher quality right. images. Right? So my, my guess is that um, most of these data sets are basically big scrapes of the web. So they, they basically find a bunch of images from the web and they put them in a database and as prompts, like labels, they're using the, the alt text, like the, the tag. Yes, uh, yes. That, uh, so maybe it's just that like a, a very big uh, pool of, of the images with an Unreal Engine description were like really nice renders. That is most likely it, yes. There's also another example. Um, it's called like the tag is ArtStation. Uh -huh. ArtStation is like one big art board on the internet. Uh -huh. And the ArtStation specifically is for like let's say wallpaper worthy art, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. very good art. Yeah. And um, if you also type in into your text, something like from art station or something, your images, especially in the art scene, will consistently or usually get better results, right? yeah. which is funny. Yeah, yeah, I've seen similar things with like 8K. <laughs> yes, exactly, that's like 8K. Yeah. Hyper-render, yeah. um, uh, 35 millimeter. Octane render oh, yeah, octane, and, yeah. and uh, also some, some uh, artists, right? Like, the, yes. like you use some artists that... This is where controversy then comes yeah, in, yeah. Right? <laughs> right? Yes, I think um, 
I, I recently just read actually an article about this. Mm -hmm. uh, one big person in the AI field, or at least in the early AI prompt engineering field, was uh, Greg Rutowski. Yes, it's him I had in mind. And uh, <laughs> it's him that basically, he, like, if you look back to like end of 2021, early 2022 uh, prompt engineering field in, in AI art, it, you saw his name everywhere, right? Because it, it was so funny that including especially his name in these kind of models, this is back in, like, there was a rather big and good model called uh, Disco Diffusion back then. Okay. This was like way before Stable Diffusion, if you know. Mm -hmm. um, and with Disco Diffusion, Greg Rutowski really made his debut, I'd say, because uh, there it really, you saw the difference visually when you included his name into the text prompt. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so interesting. Uh, and I want to get into the controversy in a bit. How much effort or how much value do you think there is in making architectural changes versus data set changes uh, versus, well, let's keep it at that for now, for the quality of your output. Okay. Um, with architecture changes, I'm, I'm not now only referring to specific models, but also mm -hmm. like the entire pipeline. Mm -hmm. But like this is actually probably the, the, what we've been so far experimenting with the most okay. because it, it really looks or like it shows the most drastic changes to, yeah. your, to your results. Yeah. Right? If you change the architecture, um, it's, it's insane what kind of different outputs you can get. Um, what kind of different styles, different vibes of pictures um, you can get um, even like from it's it's hard to describe what these kind of uh, effects actually are yeah. but I'd say are like just tweaking small minor architecture stuff yeah. can result in major breakthroughs or impacts that we had yeah. um, with the data sets I think um, there are a lot of or like a lot of big attempts but I think the data sets are where there's already been most work done already. If you look at Lion, yeah. they have a data set with 5 billion images, right? And the thing is, if, if you want to change that data set as a small or a tiny bit, it's not going to matter, mm -hmm. right? They have mm -hmm. now, I think, um, produced a data set which is especially on aesthetic images. It's yes. called Lion 2B Aesthetic uh, Plus. Okay. I think I'm not sure, but I heard. I think about we use that one, um, and th I mean this is of course a, a huge effort, a huge attempt, right? You 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 specifically selected half of the five billion images to like make a difference, but I think with the data sets you you can just now pick from the open source community which one you like most, okay. right? And yeah. I think the most important thing or like. Of course, there we are heavily biased because Nikki and me both are studying machine learning in our masters now. Mm -hmm. um, we love and know how, like, how to look at these models, how to tweak these models a little bit, and see the results. And I mean, that's basically what we've been doing the past half year. So we were kind of very much uh, into this right now. But uh, the results or the differences you can make with actually just making educated guesses in such changes is quite large. Nice. I wanted to clarify, wh when did you actually launch the app? That was quite recent, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we, it, it was quite a silent launch even because uh, we did the 
typical, let's say, computer science approach, <laughs> and we built the product first and worried about like marketing and all the stuff later. Uh, we launched uh, in October. Okay. Like I think it was like because we had like a hard deadline. We went to Zurich PopCon, which uh -huh. where we had like a booth to like make some like you can I, we could show some posters we made and stuff like this it, and it was really nice and a lot of people were interested and we needed to be ready by then and yeah. we launched a day prior basically oh, so sick. it okay. was a kind of a last minute but yeah. it worked out nice so. wow and and were there any like you know since you were doing it last minute and it was the first time did you have any hassles with like oh uh we've had a crash here or like uh, our infrastructure <laughs> I mean, uh, doesn't scale you should have seen uh, our booth, which was quite funny because we were in the artist alley uh -huh. and uh, well, we're not very much artists mm -hmm. and with us uh, it was basically just at least always two or three guys with their laptops on their lap <laughs> just trying to bug fix uh, last minute uh, stuff while yeah. the other one tried to acquire some customers, some yeah. interests. Yeah. But it was nice, I think everyone had a lot of fun actually, like Zurich PopCon was cool. nice first. Um, launch uh, yeah. event, I yeah. guess. And uh, there, and, and maybe this month, because you, you, this was like a month ago or something, yeah. um, how has the interest been and um, what kind of feedback have you gotten with the people that have used it? Uh, yeah. Um, the interest has been actually able larger than expected at the start, especially. Uh, especially at Zurich PopCon, we had way more people very interested in it than we initially thought. Because um, especially we were at, at the start kind of worried about artists not liking us, especially in the artist alley, mm -hmm. because I mean, we are not painters, <laughs> we are computer scientists. Yeah. But there were tons of artists actually coming over and saying, holy shit, this is very cool. I can use this for background art or anything similar, right? And that was very nice for yeah. us. Um, and yeah, now we, uh, we got a lot of feedback. We're actively trying to um, develop this or like right now what we are working on is um, not even the marketplace only, but um, that you can actually generate previews. Like um, low resolution. Exactly. Uh -huh. Not only low resolution, but like kind of like just the outlines, uh -huh. what your picture will look like. Uh -huh. um, because I mean, right now, um, because these these images, like our images, they need insane amounts of compute, right? Yeah. You can, we are renting the best GPUs that Google has to offer, and one image to scale up to our resolution of like 4K plus still takes 10 minutes, Yeah. right? right. And that's a rather big commitment mm -hmm. at the start, yeah. and that's why we wanted to get something for the user before he like uses Makes his sense. credits to look at, right? right. And the other good thing is that the same images half a year ago still took like over 30 minutes. So you see really this, this insane like progress. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, yeah. Or not only we, but also research makes with these models, right? Yeah. These models get faster, they get better. And at a rate that we have to keep up, but it's hard, right? Yeah. right? Yeah. But it's nice because I, I anticipate or like our goal right now is to make it to like three minutes instead of 10 by the end of 2022, right? Yeah. And uh, we're on good pace to hopefully make this. Yeah, because I, I want to clarify, like most of the models, at least that I've seen online, like uh, DALI, Midjourney, 
uh, stable diffusion, they generate much smaller images. Initially, I think it's 512 by 512. Yes, yes. You can sometimes upscale them to a thousand something, um, but you're really going like one step uh, higher in resolution, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we saw Dolly and I'm, I mean, from Dolly, we're, we're already like, since we go specifically into art and also into physical products, we wanted to differentiate ourselves a bit, mm -hmm. right? And what we saw, especially also with posters, is that for posters, you need good quality images. Yeah. You cannot slap a 512 by 512 <laughs> pixel image on a poster and want to hang it up to your wall. Yeah. You, you need good quality stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that comes with a caveat, which is the generation time and costs for us, right? Mm -hmm. So we really wanted to go into the high quality AI art niche yeah. and want to make a name for ourselves now. You mentioned that you got interest from artists themselves and I guess just from general public there. Um, what about businesses? Yeah, the thing is, other than having this very small banner at the very bottom of our mm. website, we haven't really even touched the B2B okay. um, aspect Market, of yeah. that. Yeah. So uh, we, I had a call with a friend of mine who's working in an agency, like marketing agency, and he said that they actually are using this, like they're trying to use it for new campaigns and a lot of marketing agencies are struggling with it. But uh, since we really want to focus now or on at least having the B2B side, uh, the B, sorry, the B2C yeah. side ready with like the previews, the marketplace. Until then, um, we didn't really have time to look into B2B. Right. Okay. But um, I want to, and I think we all would like to, because um, it's a whole nother strain of work, right? Which could be exciting. I wanted to um, give like a tangible sense of how fast the field is progressing to people that might not know about the field so much. So if you mention like architecture names and stuff, maybe you can also briefly touch on what they are, like like GANs or diffusion clip. What do all these yeah, things sure. mean? You mentioned GANs, generative adversarial networks. Those were the state of the art for generative art or AI in general for a long, long time, basically until 2021, mm -hmm. where the first notions of diffusion models outperforming GAN on specifically image synthesis mm -hmm. were um, published. Um, this went, well, it didn't go unnoticed, but uh, there, when, when people got track of this, um, I think it was March 2021, actually, where the, this first diffusion paper beating GANs paper was released. And uh, starting then, the, the research community was really, okay, oh, we have a new player in the field, right? Yeah, and yeah. people started using it. And especially then also with the help of Clip, the whole mm, text to image field was basically reborn with Diffusion because then people started seeing very major progress in that field. What, what does, so what, what does GAN uh, mean? What does it, well, you explained okay. what, what it uh, stands for, but uh, what's the architectural change between GAN and Diffusion? They're, they're, majorly, they're majorly different. GANs, I would call them very elegant, mm -hmm. but um, it's, it's kind of tedious to work with them. Um, the cool thing about GANs is they, they basically give you your, your desired result instantly, right? It's, it's very, very, if you want, let's talk about like image synthesis specifically. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people know the websites that are like, does not exist, right? Oh, this person yeah. does not exist. Yeah. This 
whatever does yeah. not exist. Those are all GANs mm. because there you this was like the big breakthrough with GANs because like it you can snap with your fingers and you get something that was purely generated, right? right. Um, if you want to go into a bit more detail uh, with the GANs, it's um, actually a um, the idea comes from game theory with a two-player um, minimax game. It's basically mm -hmm. you have you have a discriminator and a generator, right? So the discriminator basically gets an, an image either from the real data set or the generator and he has to say, okay, is this image real or fake, right? Mm -hmm. Is it generated or is it real? Mm -hmm. And then the generator, of course, has to learn to fool the discriminator, right? So they kind of learn from each other. So when yeah. one gets better, usually the other one does as well. Yeah. But when training GANs, there's been major problems. Mm -hmm. I mean, I am not a machine learning researcher. Um, but I've I've got my hands dirty with GANs prior, so mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, then diffusion came, and diffusion is basically a whole different method, and uh, this is more of a power method, I'd call it, because what diffusions do is they actually do a stepwise process. Okay. So basically, how you generate an image with diffusion is not you snap with your fingers and you have an image, but you start with a very noisy image, right? It's random noise, right? And um, this is, it's, it's really just random pixel initiated colors. And then step by step, the model tries to remove some noise from these images until the desired outcome becomes visible on the image itself, right? And this goes from like 200 to you can go 1,000 1, steps, right? Yeah. And because it's stepwise, it's, it takes also way more compute than uh -huh. GANs, for example. Right. There's, there's like this thing called the latent space, mm -hmm. right? Which you can imagine as a very high dimensional space where you can uh, travel through and then let's say if you go from, if you have a model trained on cars, right? And you start somewhere up here and get a green Lamborghini mm -hmm. and you can maybe like walk a specific direction and then your Lamborghini stays a Lamborghini but changes color, yeah. right? Yeah. It, it, has this, it, it has this latent space really in, in codes, embeds these features. Yeah. And um, with GANs there were already very solid uh, once, like, I, I mean, as you can see, there's been uh, latent space traversals with GANs, especially on faces that were very, very um, impressive, right? So you can give me a photo of your face, I will make it older, I will oh, give you yeah. a beard, I will mm, give you glasses, right? This was already everything um, really, um, yeah, like working. But yes, like one thing that really wasn't the case is that you had like one thing that could do it all, right? Usually you had the GAN specifically on faces and one then specifically on cars. But right now we still see with these multimodal models that uh, DALI can basically give you anything you like, right? Yeah. And yeah. this kind of um, generality was not yet seen before. Right. And, and for these diffusion models, how do you specify like the loss the objective function so that they get better um, as they get trained? Okay, um, I can mostly answer this question only for now text to image. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, the thing is, this answer is going to be, it, it's how I like to see how these models actually learn. Okay. Okay, and especially in the early days, 
um, you had basically in the text to image space, you have the GAN has also two models, right? There's the generator and yep. the discriminator. Um, in the text to image space, you have also the generator, so the, which is the diffusion model, mm -hmm. which generates your uh -huh. images. But you have also clip, which plays a major role. Mm -hmm. I mean, not only not every architecture uses clip. I'll I'll use clip here as an example, yeah. right? And what clip does uh, is clip is an older model. And uh, it's also from OpenAI. It's got released, I think, in 2019. Yeah. It's one of the only models that actually were open sourced mm -hmm. by OpenAI, okay. which is very nice because we, we are also using Clip. Everyone is using Clip. Now Lion actually also has their Clip versions, whatever. And what Clip does is you give it an image and it will give you a label. Right, okay. so basically the exact opposite, ah. right? So what we want is I'll give you a label, yeah. I want an image, right? Yeah. But what the clip does is it gives you, you give it an image and it will give you a label, oh. right? And what I like, like to visualize how these models learn is you start with the generation process, right? So let's say you want to make a house, mm -hmm. right? So the first step is gonna be insanely noisy, just random yeah. pixel noise from the diffusion model then you take this image from the diffusion model and give it to Clip, right? And Clip will actually predict what's on that image, right? And at the start, because it's random noise, yeah. it will say, okay, that's probably 80% some ant hill, right? <laughs> or like 20% a snowstorm, yeah. right? But it will tell you, okay, but maybe it's like to 0.001% a house, uh -huh. right? The thing you want, right? So you, you say, okay, I want a house. It searches for its prediction, right? And then it's like you can ask the model basically, how do I need to change this noisy image such that the, the likelihood, the prediction of the house gets higher, right? Uh -huh. And then what you do is you remove some of that noise, right? Tra uh, like get to the next step, get a new, a bit less noisy image, yeah. give it yeah, to yeah. Clip again. Clip will now say maybe it's 0.2% the house. Yeah. You will see, okay, what noise do I need to remove to actually push that up in the mm -hmm. ladder, right? And then yeah. it's like 250 times left to right. And that's how actually these uh, things get generated, right? Amazing. Amazing. Um, so when you're doing, um, so sometimes some of these models out there online um, you can give them a prompt and you can also give them an existing image, right? So how would it uh, run through that pipeline in, in that case? Yeah, um, that is actually uh, way simpler than oh. most people think because um, all it does basically is it, it takes your, it's called init image. We call it init image, uh -huh. this feature. You can give it an image, right? Uh, for example, I'll give it an image from myself yeah. and I say, okay, I want an astronaut, right? Mm -hmm. And it, then it will try to turn my image into an astronaut. Mm -hmm. All it does basically is it takes the image, it adds some, some noise mostly on top of the image, and then um, it mm -hmm. doesn't start from scratch, yeah. but it starts in the middle of the okay. process, right? So if you say, um, if, if you say your, your diffusion model has 250 steps, yeah right and uh, it takes uh, like it takes 250 steps to generate an image from scratch yeah. then you will skip maybe the first 100 or 150 steps yeah. and from there you start on your initial image and then step by step it tries to 
like go from your initial image into also what was on the prompt. Wow. Okay. I think Dali. Well, m many of them also allow you to uh, when you have a generated image that you can add things to it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You're doing the same thing. Like when when you have like a blank area next to an image, it's just adding noise there, and then. Exactly. There's two versions of this. One is called in-painting mm -hmm. and one is called out-painting. Okay. So I think Dolly has both. Yeah. Out-painting is when you, let's say, um, when you have uh, the Mona Lisa, right? Mm -hmm. But you want to see a bit more of the whole picture, yeah. basically. It mm -hmm. can generate you more uh -huh. outside of the Mona Lisa. Yeah. And in-painting is, okay, let's say you don't really like the nose of the Mona Lisa. So you can say, okay, you can mark the region it should regenerate, right? right? Yeah. Which uh, then gives you another nose that you can describe with text. Yeah. Yes, and this uh, um, works with similar, of course, uh, there mostly, it really takes the, the context of the already existing pixels mm -hmm. into the matter of what new things should be generated. Uh -huh. right? Okay, so yeah, it, it won't change those. So those exactly. are not really fed into the, Gener yeah, I'm not sure. They, like they are, they, they are as inputs, but what, is it like that you feed everything and then the output you basically crop by the area that you were inpainting, or basically, okay. basically, yeah, okay. exactly. So you, you, exactly, they are um, fed into because you yeah. need context. Yeah. Otherwise, it will look completely different yeah. style-wise, color-wise, yeah. stuff yeah. like this. Yeah. But yeah, and in the end, you only, of course, regenerate the thing you actually marked, right. right, and not the context. And then there's some examples as well where you can like uh, paint, like with with some colors. You can make a shape of a house, and then it will generate a picture of that. Is that similar to when you input an image? Exactly the okay. same. Okay. This is exactly the same. Exactly oh, because so cool. all you do basically is you influence its starting noise, yeah. right? So basically what, what, what it does is the starting noise should be random, mm -hmm. but if you, you can bias this randomness by exactly drawing already a shape of a house, yeah. which it then will work upon, no, right? Amazing, cool. So I've mentioned already that there's quite a lot of products out there that you can use for generating images. Um, in your view, what are the major players right now? In my view, there's only one, but this one is very big uh, in the AI art space, uh -huh. of uh -huh. course. Um, Dali is not really in the art space uh -huh. because it was trained on realistic images mostly, yeah. so it doesn't really perform that good on art. Uh -huh. I'm not saying that OpenAI cannot just snap with their fingers and also train it on art. Yeah. They can. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the big player for me is Midjourney, right? Mm. Midjourney, um, I actually was lucky enough also to get in touch with them very early since it was um, I got in touch with Midjourney when they were still a research, uh, research like group right they were initially just a research group and the cool thing about, about Midjourney is they really like collected all the big names in the AI art space like uh, Catherine Krausen which made Disco Diffusion back in the days and they are very cool people. Like I, I really, I don't even want to see them as competitors because we want to differentiate ourselves. Um, like they're like the people I've talked to also David Holtz, mm -hmm. um, very chill people. And I think they like, they deserve every, um, they're pioneers in the field, right? They're yeah. really good. Yeah. Um, all the rest is uh, what we see yeah, I mean, th there's a lot, right? There's, there, of course, there's a lot, but uh, 
in in terms of quality, Midjourney is like the only one that's really uh, out there. Okay. I think. Yeah. Um, no, I've I've had uh, personal uh, experience with Midjourney actually. Uh, like I just tried it out for fun, and and it is very artistic. And, yeah. And uh, I even have a friend uh, that runs a. Uh, a label in Switzerland and uh, I told him about my journey and he got you know a subscription and now he also generates artwork yeah. for for his artists um, that's really, really yeah really my cool. journey is uh, I like my journey a lot yeah. I like the people a lot especially yeah at the moment um, there's many applications of generative AI um, if we're talking specifically about generating images or video what are some of the 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 ones that come to mind that are like ones that you've seen that are really cool or I mean of course uh, the the major one is really just uh, generating your own art right I yeah. mean Midjourney really focuses even artists right yeah. uh, that are really willing to spend a lot of time with creating that stuff uh, generally at the other hand really tries to um, help or like get a better user interface, right? I mean, Midjourney doesn't even have a website. Yeah. You have to download Discord to use it. You have to prompt engineer. Yeah. We really try to um, get that uh, all out of the way to also um, just have a, another customer profile, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the other cool applications, of course, is combining all cool AI things you can do. I, I saw one very cool one. Um, from a guy who basically only with AI made a children's book. He he used uh, GPT-3, uh -huh. so you you yeah. know the language model. Yeah. Um, he prompted GPT-3, um, write me a story about an elephant uh -huh. uh, for a children's book, right? Mm -hmm. So the story was generated, yeah. right? And it had like, I don't know, 12 to 20 sentences. Mm -hmm. And then every sentence he put into Dolly, right? <laughs> Which then generated to the generated text, yeah. the images, right? Yeah. And all he did was then combine them into yeah. a book and sold it on Amazon, right? <laughs> so the whole the whole process was AI generated, right? The, the whole book, the yeah. whole with illustrations, with text, everything. Wow. That was <laughs> very funny application. And I think this will be like, to everywhere yeah. in the future. Right? Did, did that um, inspire you? Because I saw on TikTok that you were also that you were experimenting with creating music videos. Uh, so using <laughs> the lyrics of songs to generate music videos. There. Yeah, of course. I mean that is especially because we're we're trying out some some marketing yeah. uh, stuff, and that's honestly just a personal choice because yeah. it's uh, really nice to see just. Uh, because TikTok is very music heavy, yeah. that we have a nice application together with music. Right. Um, but I think it, it goes way beyond that, right? It, it's really just like the, the creativity these models can express from writing fiction, right? Yeah. Writing fiction and generating even like illustrations to that fiction. Yeah. It's, it's really bizarre already. Yeah. It's yeah, very yeah. funny. Uh, one, one product that uh, I don't know if you know about, but is really insane in my opinion. It's called the Runway ML. Yeah, they're the video guys. Just, yeah, the Runway is, yeah, yeah. Though it, they're also obviously backed by stability, as far as I know. And uh, yeah, what these guys basically do is all again exactly. They they instantly focused on video as soon as they basically saw the whole field. Yeah. So they they 
also were able to take the risk and uh, like gamble that video will get out yeah. pretty soon. Yeah. And yeah, what they already do with that is very cool. So um, since we're speaking about applications, I was uh, wondering about an idea I recently had and I just wanted to um, pick your brain about how you would approach this as someone that, ho that has already gone through the whole, you know, making a product launch. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so, um, <clears throat> As I, as I said, I have this friend that uh, he has a label, so artists come to him for releasing music. And one of the services he offers to these artists is uh, initially he was offering them artwork, but now he can make this artwork very personalized to the piece that they're, th that they're releasing, right? So it could be about losing your path or yeah. something. And then you have like a path that just ends in the clouds or there's a huge cliff. You can just go crazy with your creativity. So. Um, so that's like a very nice feature, but there's um, there's nothing like this uh, at scale that artists can can just uh, do. And I was wondering, like, if I just want to make uh, a small service just to try it out um, for specifically for artists for like the artwork, the square artwork yeah. that ends up in Spotify and stuff. Um, yeah, how how would you approach this? I, I mean, this is this is so funny because we I I talked to someone who's doing a music startup, and he asked me to like do exactly this. He wanted to use Generai to exactly um, generate album covers basically for songs because yeah. you can then input the name of the song, the title yes. of the song, and it will give you a matching album cover to yeah. it or song cover yeah. um, I mean it, it really depends on if you if you want to make a, a service out of it, mm -hmm. uh, it it's not even that hard it, it the, the one thing will the, that will be hard is um, because uh, to differentiate mm -hmm. right because yep. uh, why not use Dolly why not use midjourney mm -hmm. because um, they can do it just as well and you, I mean, what we did, of course, was we tried to differentiate with quality and resolution mm -hmm. and also physical products, right? Mm -hmm. But um, there, all you need to do basically is build an API for one model you have, right? Yeah. I think uh, the sales perspective there is going to be very important. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but with the B2B, especially if you have your first customers, if you already have your friends, mm -hmm. your label that would mm -hmm. maybe even use it, or if you yeah. are you targeting consumers like the artists themselves yeah and individual oh, artists so could it's already rather be, b2c yeah. then yeah i would say rather b2c oh, okay. there's like uh 11 million independent yeah. well artists on spotify so a huge chunk of those are independent right uh, yeah, yeah I, I mean this is only my personal opinion but like the problem with this is or that we are also experiencing yep. is if you cannot differentiate yourself uh, the big boys will come and just do whatever you want to do as well. Because what is stopping Spotify from like doing exactly this internally, right? right? So I think you, you actually have way larger chances to like get a big deal with Spotify such mm -hmm. that your product will be integrated into right. Spotify mm -hmm. than actually go to the single artists on Spotify and try to like sell them a third-party app that will probably eventually be on Spotify either way. Right, right. right. Okay. So. Um, I mean, I would say, like, I don't know if I can go knocking on Spotify's door without a product. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree that that would probably be the best way to integrate it into a platform like Spotify yeah, I mean, or DistroKid. I don't know if you know DistroKid, but it's like a distributor. 
No, so, yeah. you don't want to integrate it into Spotify. You want uh -huh. Spotify using your API. Ah, right? I see what you mean. You, you want Spotify yeah. as the customer. Right. Right, and then the, the API can also be sold to YouTube for thumbnails. Mm -hmm. For to, to right, that's how I would approach it. But how do you start if there's no market, like no proven market? You don't know if Spotify is like looking for this or going to use it. To I mean, this this advice is now mouth to mouth. Yeah. I I don't have personal experience yeah. doing this, but I have exactly a, a lot of mentors yeah. that I already talked to, yeah. who try to get me into the B two B business, and it, they said it's really just. Uh, you have to start small in the B2B world. And I think like only if already your friend with the label would be using it, yeah. having your first customers is huge. Yeah. And then scaling from there. I mean, we already thought about exactly the same yeah. concept that we also build an API for businesses yeah. to use our features, right? For example, we thought about um, eFollower, uh, oh, which yeah. does uh, which is a big right. name as well right. in the in the yeah. picture or poster yeah, or prints, album yeah. prints, right? Yeah. So what we could do is they they probably also want to um, have a service yeah. like this in the future, yeah. right? So and they will not like they will want to have this service on their website, mm -hmm. right? But what the, this service on their website uses in the back end mm -hmm. could be yeah. our API, yeah. right? Yeah. And stuff like this, I think, is way yeah. more secure to have instead of going to eFollower customers and trying to sell them right. extend like one by one our products yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. then you have like yeah the for sure no i i agree very valid uh, points um and on the technical side because uh, i think you were mentioning yeah you have all the big boys that can come for you and i understand that like computationally engineering wise they have they can move way faster and if they want they can conquer this field easily but I guess they're focused on like creating the most uh, multimodal models out there and um, like the advantage of this would basically be the the fine-tuning that you can do on very specific uh, yeah artwork style yes yeah. I mean the the one thing we have here is uh, we, we have very good timing we we already had the whole platform and product basically when the whole hype just started. Yeah. So there are not as many big boys already out there such that we can still differentiate ourselves well enough. For example, Dali really, Dali doesn't, they don't care about B2C. Dali yeah. wants exactly to have this API, right? Yeah. They want to probably do the same stuff as they did with GPT, mm -hmm. which is create an API for businesses that they can use, scale up. Yeah. Midjourney, um, they are not very B2C focused as in, usability. Yeah. Midjourney, I mean, um, they are very focused, especially on their own research still. Mm -hmm. And their model or their, their product is on Discord, right? Yeah. Tell some average 30 to 40 year old dude to download Discord to use some weird yeah. image yeah, generator yeah. stuff. They really focus on people, on, on like artists, on designers, on people that want to integrate their stuff into their workflow, yeah. right? So we, we saw this, we knew this, and we want to differentiate ourselves by being actually the ones that everyone can use, right? Yeah. By having this website, by having this, this design choice that we are very UX friendly and UX based, people don't need to prompt the engineer if they don't want to, you will get good results either way. Mm -hmm. um, you have a very nice website with easy integration, stuff like this. Yeah. And there we just saw our market. 
And, uh, but we could only do that um, because we were quite early. Mm -hmm. And this is also, of course, then the kind of pressure that we have to now um, scale up a little bit faster, um, which is now maybe even considering potential investors for us, because as of now, we've been bootstrapping mm -hmm. to really like keep this advantage, right? Because there's no one, I mean, we have this half a year time advantage, but if there's if someone comes now with a two million backed up in investing, mm -hmm. and this is just a matter of time until their progress will surpass yeah. us. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but you were you were mentioning before that um, you're not uh, focused on the data sets because it's very hard to make a difference in a data set that already contains like five billion images. Um, there's one thing though that I'm not like an expert at. I just saw it. Uh, this thing called textual inversion. Um, how does that work and can you use that for a thing like artworks or because uh, I've seen it used for specific objects or specific styles like Pokemon or something yes. uh, but can you use it for something like you know um, feeding in like a, a small data set of like very artistic images or artworks and then um, use that okay uh, sadly Nikki isn't here because he uh -huh. he literally just two <laughs> weeks ago implemented textual inversion for us <laughs> to test as a feature right okay. because uh, it came out like a month ago or no, probably a bit earlier. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like te what textual inversion does is you can basically fine tune your model on very specific uh, stuff with very little images, uh -huh. right? Um, this for sure has a lot of potential right now. It's just not ripe yet. We tried it internally. We, we did uh, the testing. We, we saw the results. Um, how I can describe textual inversion right now is just a heavy, heavy overfitting, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, and to generalize this, like that's exactly basically what we tried to do is we tried to do textual inversion on styles, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So basically we wanted to have a model that uh, paints in a cyberpunk style with mm -hmm. textual inversion, doing fine training on cyberpunk, uh -huh. but it didn't, it, it, it just was, not there yet, this okay. technology. It will hopefully come yeah, and yeah, yeah. we were having an eye on this. Okay. But what we, the results we saw were, were quite, or I mean, I, yeah, they were disappointing, but I mean, I, we didn't have high expectations anyways because right. it's, it's such a new thing, right? Yeah, so yeah. It, it will just need time, but it will come. But yeah. right now, uh, the thing I said with the data set is just really that there are so good data sets already out there. There's no point in wasting time trying to make them better. They're like the resources of your or of our team are just better somewhere else. So I wanted now to get into like the more controversial stuff, uh, which is kind of something that that spurred out of this big open source release of uh, stable diffusion by stability.ai. Um, yeah, can you touch on, on first who, who are they, what, what did they do and... Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, sure. I, Stability, the, the founder of Stability is Emad. Uh -huh. um, I've actually been in contact with him <laughs> because like, the, yeah, that, that's like one of the perks to being early in the field. Mm -hmm. um, you were on like small Discord servers where he was on trying new... Like I, I actually was able to test Stable Diffusion in like the closed uh, version, right? He had like a small Discord server. And um, yeah, stability is like the, 
how do I say it? the actual open open AI. Mm -hmm. That's their yeah. <laughs> that's their their mindset. That's yeah. what they're trying to pursue now. And uh, EMAT is uh, I mean I, I'm I don't want to like I, I hope that uh, currently with the recent actions I heard I, I have no ill intentions. For me, he's like a second Elon Musk, uh -huh. right? He's uh -huh. a very he he used to be a hedge fund manager. He now wants to spend his money on. AI, right? And he wants to really push forward this technology and he's a big dreamer, right? Yeah, big dreamer. Yeah. And he already, yeah, had major achievements, right? Um, and he's also one that um, really wants to push progress um, and new developments at um, costs other probably wouldn't um, want to do right. that, right. right? And yeah, with, I mean, what controversy are you exactly talking about? Because there is a lot, right? right. There's, for example, um, of course, the controversy that uh, artists don't really, or some artists don't like having their names, their stuff into their data set. Mm -hmm. And a lot of artists, of course, being scared that they're going to be replaced, right? Yeah. Because um, now, like, I don't know, creativity, right? A virtue once thought to be exclusively human yeah. is now learned by computers, yeah. right? Which is crazy. crazy. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, I think it came to a lot of people much as a shock. Much faster than they thought. Yeah, because yeah. I, we thought, okay, AI would replace, um, would start at the like mundane jobs, right? At the monotone jobs, yeah. but now it, it came from both sides, right? Yeah. It's not only taking the jobs from cashiers or stuff like this, mm -hmm. but it's also taking jobs from the most creative yeah. fields in humanity, yeah. which is uh, crazy if you yeah. think about it. In a way, it's, it's a bit sad that, um, that there's people that love their jobs, like as artists, and they're, now they fear they're going to be replaced, and then there's people, uh, so I'm doing my thesis on uh, sorting. So sorting for, for waste, so using robotic pickers to sort. And this is still a technology that's not there at scale. So yeah. there's still a lot of people that don't want to have this job of manually sorting through waste. But that's something that AI still hasn't solved. And it's very weird or unexpected for humans that AI yeah. creativity would be competing with humans before uh, something like manual labor like this. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't like it. <laughs> uh, that's also a big part of the controversy. Yeah. The, the, the people are scared, people are um, intimidated, and yeah. uh, some other people, of course, have diff uh, completely different reasons, right? Yeah, so an another controversy is, um, so I just want to make uh, clear for people that don't know about these companies very much, but OpenAI, they have a, a closed source model and they have a paid API through which you can generate images and instead stable diffusion, open source their model. I can literally download it on my M1 Mac and generate images in 30 seconds. Keep in mind, OpenAI also started like stability as right. far as I know. Yeah. And I think the... It's, it's going to be hard for stability to stay on this track, mm -hmm. right? Because the money is uh, a lot more powerful the, in, in, these world, uh, in these sectors, right? Because uh, with OpenAI, you also saw the deal with Microsoft they did. And that's like these kind of companies, which are, let's say, research focused, which drive to drive humanity forward, they're not really making big profits, mm -hmm. right? Because they're taking leaps of faith yeah. 
and they try to do research, they don't have instantly a working product, right? Right. And so uh, for that, you need money, yeah. right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. where does money comes from is different sources. Um, yeah, we'll see where it goes, I right. guess. Right? So the, the other controversy um, was that uh, stable diffusion is unregulated. So like these closed source models usually have uh, either they filter the, the prompts themselves or they filter the output to prevent like certain content from being... Okay, generated. that's a good one. Yes, um, the, exactly. The, the stable diffusion version that, uh, for example, Stability AI also offers um, is censored, right? They censored, but they also gave the uncensored model to play around with yourself. I personally am a big advocate of this um, because, uh, yes, I mean, of course, it will not only do good, right? But um, I think people are a lot overestimating the damage that these things do. Mm -hmm. um, OpenAI was exactly the same. Like, this is the typical reason. OpenAI now uses for not releasing their models is that they say it's too dangerous for humanity to release these models, right? Mm. Which is a very convenient excuse. Yeah. Um, and yeah, with the censoring, of course, uh, there's different approaches for these kind of things, right? And I mean, again, I am not an expert on this because there's a whole research field about fairness and interpretability mm -hmm. mm -hmm. of these AIs. Um, stability goes the mostly uncensored and biased way. Mm -hmm. I think the only thing they censor, if even uh, then uh, it is NSFW uh, stuff, uh -huh, uh -huh. right? Uh, OpenAI, for example, goes way more extreme, right? OpenAI actually actively changes your prompt to enforce diversity, to enforce <laughs> censorship. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and like a lot of people are pissed about this, mm -hmm. right? Uh, like but the, the thing with the signs? Yes, exactly. <laughs> this is, I can talk about this. This yeah. is hilarious. I love how like... <laughs> Creative exactly. people are. Right? Yes, that's like, that's the thing. Um, what, like the story behind this is um, people started figuring out that OpenAI was um, adding keywords to their texts, right? Yeah. And these keywords were mostly there for uh, diversity, right? Because in the data set itself, a lot of things are biased, right? For example, skin color, gender, stuff like this. And what OpenAI wanted to prevent, which I think inherently is good because it results in a fair model, was to like, if you say, I want a software engineer that not only white males in front of computers will pop up, right? They want some diversity. The bad thing they did was the, the approach, which was very lazy, which basically just was appending female and black to some texts you inserted and some didn't, right? And people figured that out by typing in a text that was a person holding a sign that says, right? Only this. And then you saw generated images with a sign that said black or female <laughs> on it, right? Which then, Means, which basically yeah. exposed yeah. what OpenAI was doing, right? Yeah. Which was such a funny way to, to figure this out. <laughs> and a lot of people didn't like this because, I mean, you, you don't like having fiddled with your yeah. creative yeah. freedom, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like the initial thought, of course, was, was correct. And again, this really shows how little 
we understand these models because like this is the approach the best researchers of this field had to come up with right they couldn't change the model they had to add text right. because this was the best approach yeah. they could come up with yeah. this is yeah again, you have to change the input or do something yes. around it but yes. you can't fiddle it's with the black a, box it's such a black box exactly yeah. well um so yeah going back to the the like stealing from artists controversy um uh so I like to think about it. I don't know if you've used Copilot. I do. Uh, okay, so you're a programmer and you're using Copilot, right? And uh, there's also, I mean, some people might think that Copilot is coming for the jobs of software engineers, um, but I kind of see it as something that empowers me and that like I work together with. Do you think that the same thing is going to happen with artists, that they're just going to have the approach of, they're not generating stuff and they're mostly focused on correcting and fine-tuning things. Um, okay, ha have you, are you actively using Copilot? Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, I, I've been using Copilot since beta. Mm -hmm. And there it really was a tool for, to, to like, okay, to, for boiler or template code to fill yeah. out. But like that was more than a year ago, I think. Mm -hmm. And Copilot got way better, mm -hmm. noticeably for me. And like, I think in the past two months, were the first times where I let Copilot write code that I didn't understand or like that I didn't check or like it, wow. it I, and this was crazy to me. Like I, what I did was I, for, at the start, it was just simple um, data analytics stuff, right? For example, okay, uh, I defined a function where it should um, give me some, some points near a point, right? And I mean, I know mm -hmm. how to write these functions myself, mm -hmm. of course, but it then used libraries or functions I've never seen before. And which I just then, like, yeah. I didn't bother to look this up, right? I just wanted to show, see if it works. And if it did, I continued. And this was, this was kind of crazy, right? Because uh, that's like the first time that it, I didn't use it as a tool, but yeah. it, I used it as, as a complete help yeah. of, 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 yeah. of lack of knowledge, basically, yeah. or lack yeah. of... And, and when I see the progression of this, uh, I will be... I mean, you, do you know CodeX? Uh, CodeX is the model that powers... Uh, this, yes, right? exactly. Yeah. Like it, the, the, the demo they showed, right, was exactly basically programming just from natural language, yeah. right? So I... In, Writing a comment. In, exactly. In a few years, or actually already now, they showed it in the demo. Of course, it was kind of cherry-picked probably. Yeah. But you can just tell the, the IDE, I guess, to yeah. uh, make a website uh, with a picture of a sun on the top corner and the menu bar, uh, whatever, right? And yeah. it will write you perfect HTML just from text, right? And like, this is uh, quite crazy. You won't have to, I mean, the programmers don't, aren't, I mean, they're rather safe probably because the thing is we still need to, or at least have to try to reverse engineer their thought process, right? But I think um, we're not that safe as, as we think. The same for artists, right? If we go into, if we think that just because we can write code that we're not replaceable, uh -huh. I think, uh, or personally, I thought that uh, programming was actually getting replaced before art, uh -huh. right? And I mean, with all this, yeah, I mean, my, my dad now also kind of uh, is interested in the generative space, right? And I think uh, he said something very cool, which was 
basically um, the century we live in now uh, will be remembered as the one where computers learned the human language, right? <laughs> so in, in a thousand years when Corona will be forgotten and stuff like this, it will just be in the history books as the century where computers learned the language of us humans, right? Yeah. Because now we cannot only create art, we can even code like with, I'm very sure that with Copilot and enough practice, someone who doesn't have the coding skills can still code nowadays, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And this will only get worse, yeah. right? So uh, I, I'm, a, I'm, but I, I'm a big advocate of this, I think. Yeah. Okay. I, I, it's, it, it's kind of dystopian, but... Uh, so do you think that um, they will just not exist, like artists or programmers or... Like in the case of artists, how do you think they will adapt to, to the technology? I mean, I talked to a lot of artists about this because mm -hmm. I was obviously very curious, first of all, and I really wanted to, like, what we want to build is exactly also a tool, right, for artists. We don't want to replace them. And um, what they also said, or like mostly older artists told me that uh, there actually was in the art space uh, a very similar revolution, which was the introduction of digital art, right? If you talk to artists mm. nowadays, uh, nine out of 10, mm. are, they're not painting on canvas with right. paintbrushes. <laughs> they're painting on iPads, right. right? And when digital art came into the field, a lot of artists were, had the exact, like the, the whole art field already went through, yeah, yeah, it already went through exactly this with yeah. like, oh wow, um, what the hell, I practiced my whole life for this and yeah. now some software can draw me perfect circles or can <laughs> fill in perfectly with the colors of the shapes, stuff like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, I'm sure that we all will adapt also as programmers, yeah. even if we then have to just come up with the idea of the right. program, which will most likely also be then sometime optimized, yeah. I guess. <laughs> and I mean, also like looking at machine learning research is now that uh, we're not the one um, like building the foundations that others can use to make new discoveries. It, it flipped, right? We are now the one trying to understand these new discoveries and reverse engineer the process behind them, yeah. right? Which is kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, wow. All right, so uh, we've uh, spoken about text-to-image quite a lot, um, but uh, as we've mentioned right now, there's text-to-text, text-to-code, right? Um, there's other data modalities as well, like text-to-audio that are being explored and I think are a bit behind, uh, right? Yeah. Um, uh, what do you know about these these uh, these developments and like applying these generative models to music and where do you think this would go? I mean, yeah, the especially talking about music, uh, which is kind of not where the money is going right now, right? Everyone is going crazy about visuals. Nobody is going that much crazy about audio. I think the last big big milestone was Shukebox from uh. OpenAI, but which already is few years old mm -hmm. and uh, with the diffusion now uh, people are picking it up again I, I know a friend even that uh, tries to make a startup right now with uh, music generation like have a platform and what he wants to do I think specifically is like a a kind of application where you can 
hum a, a, a melody and it will make a song out of it, right? And uh, which is very interesting. Yeah. But yeah, the thing is, the field right now is not going in that direction as fast. Mm -hmm. So it, it kind of lags behind. But already, if you if you look at the stuff that was possible three years ago, and if you look at the stuff that was possible now, um, especially like w one thing that recently came out was Whisper mm -hmm. by OpenAI, but which is the other direction, right? It's mm -hmm. audio to text. Yeah. And like, it's it's gonna everywhere is gonna be this more this generative AI stuff, right? It's it, it the possibilities where you can apply these things is is endless. Right. This. So I, I'm really curious about the music stuff though, because yeah. I think there it can really like the one thing I'm I'm curious about is how specific these models will be able to determine your taste. Yeah. Right, because what what he ultimately, what my friend ultimately would also want to do is then to make an algorithm that really like pinpoints your taste in music, and then specifically only for your personal taste generate music to it. Right, which is not yet matched by the demand, right, right. or the supply that music has to offer. You find your artist that you most like yeah. and then listen to his music, right? Yeah. It's not like an artist finds you and tries to make music for you specifically. Yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's super interesting. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, I, I, I'm just really curious to, if you've ever thought about, because this, this is a, a podcast recording that you will be able to look back on yeah. uh, five years from now. So <laughs> if you, uh, wanted to make your future self really happy with a prediction that maybe you nail or maybe you're really far off from. Uh, what would you say like the future self uh, in five years will be experiencing or seeing in, in the field of generative AI? I mean, I would love to see myself or see Generai at least as some name coming up somewhere in being very early in the field pioneers right yeah. so especially here in switzerland i think our chances are very good being the first ones and i would love to manifest myself and generai and i think this is also the whole consent of my team that we want to be the guys uh, in Switzerland that also scaled up then globally yeah. for AI art, right? Yeah. High quality AI art is currently yes. like the goal for us. And to see myself still in this condition or in this situation five years into the future um, is not that likely. I still hope that I stick around to generative AI in general. Though. Yeah. How would you recommend someone that uh, almost knows nothing about this field but might, might know a bit of programming uh, to to spin up, to start out, you know, in this field, if they want to create an application on this yeah, technology? I get that question a lot. <laughs> and for me, it's really just, uh, generally I just started, I, I, I do a lot of, or not a lot of, I do projects next to my studies, right? Mm -hmm. Which was kind of like, um, prior to that, I did a reinforcement learning project on self-driving car in Trackmania. Uh, prior to that, I did some coloring AI using GANs, stuff like this. And Generai usually also just started as a small project. And I mean, the, just starting such a project and see where it can go is probably the major 
thing you have to do because so many like I'm I'm a lot in the student project house at ETH mm -hmm. right and so many people have such cool ideas but they don't think that they're ready or have the capabilities to actually make them reality right mm -hmm. and if you don't start that's like the biggest mistake you can do because you, you will always learn something along the way like I learned so much even from previous projects that I'm not working on anymore. Yeah. So just starting with an idea and trying to stick to it, consistency is key there. Yeah. Um, you'll find yourself very nice, uh, in a nice position half a year later, a year later. Right? Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I also wanted to ask you uh, a few like gut uh, feeling rapid fire questions. Um, you can answer as long or as short as you want. Uh, but um, the first one is about AI. Does the future of AI as a field trouble you or excite you? I mean, I'm very biased. Of course, yeah. it excites me, <laughs> um, especially because I think like there's this, there are the AGI guys, mm -hmm. artificial general intelligence, yeah. which is now gaining a lot of traction, right? They're mm -hmm. talking about singularity, which is the day that uh, everything is going to change with mm -hmm. AI. And uh, I think I, I we're not at this point yet, but this will actually maybe happen in my lifetime, which mm -hmm. I'll see w how it goes, I guess. So I'm kind of excited for this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it will be cool, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, w would there, because you're very optimistic, but is there like a breakthrough uh, in AI that would actually uh, scare you where you would be like oh shit this is getting out of hands what like yeah that makes you really uncertain about the future I mean I, I think the, the the problem we have right now is the DAI um, that we're that we're creating nowadays really is a black box for us mm -hmm. where we don't even know why they act this way but the results these models are achieving are so good that we still want them, yeah. right? We want them in our lives. We, we want them mostly everywhere, right? Yeah. And the, the abundance of these models are getting more and more. Mm -hmm. And of course, there could be a point where we already built the infrastructures and using these kind of AI in our day-to-day -day lives, which will then give them just the platform basically already to do major evil i guess mm -hmm. um, but looking at the ai field and mm -hmm. how much effort is like it, there really is going into like preventing this mm -hmm. making not only good alignment ai but fairness non-biased stuff like this yeah. i think the the probability of something majorly bad happening is not that Right. Um, not that high. Right. I, I think there's much more of the probability that we just actually create a system that is mathematically proven to be um, most beneficial to maybe humankind or the individuals themselves and then we just like mindlessly um, follow the rules of some god AI who tells us what's best for us. Something I think this is way more likely than just AI being evil and uh -huh. seeing humans as a threat. Right. right. 
I mean, just sharing my personal opinion, maybe you can say what things you relate to, but um, I feel like the more, um, the more AI gains control over our lives, over decision-making, like think about a judge, right? Of course, with smart devices, it gets even crazier, right? If they have connection to, to, our, uh, to our bodies um, and embodied AI, right? Like actual moving robots that navigate the streets. Um, yeah, then it's, it's not so much that I'm afraid of the AI turning evil because I always think of it as it's just math at, at the end of the day. It's more like coming from a reinforcement learning background that you that you're setting a, a reward function that you don't fully understand too well and that to maximize a reward it does something that you actually didn't want it to do. Yes, uh, um, I. I love reinforcement learning. It's probably my favorite field of AI even because it gets this philosophical and you can directly see this, these implications in real life, right? Mm -hmm. And this, this intelligent behavior coming just from a reward oh, function yeah. that is not feasible, that is not tractable, right? Mm -hmm. That you cannot uh, see every possible um, action coming yeah. because of you yeah. giving this reward function. Um, but I, I mean, currently, I think I think there will be a long time where we just have a kill switch or something, mm -hmm. right? For mm -hmm. for these kind of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what I also think is that AI will make us more and more lazy because, yeah, as I said with GitHub Copilot, the the point where I realized that I was not even thinking about the code anymore that it wrote me was kind of the 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 point where I was a whole what the hell is happening right so I, I'm actually yeah. like outsourcing Letting the thinking yeah. to a machine right yeah, so yeah. Like. Wow. Um, and um, one of the last questions how do you keep up in this field do you have any resources like like websites that you usually visit or habits that you have that that help you in this like podcasts or yeah um, I mean there's different sources I think like the one big thing is that I am in a complete bubble. Mm -hmm. I don't read even any more newspapers mm -hmm. and stuff like this. All, all the news I get are from my niche research field. Right. Uh, mostly like there's Twitter is probably the oh. place to be with like uh, all the new papers being there first, yeah. having researchers talk about their research before publishing it, mm -hmm. stuff like this. So uh, Twitter, Reddit is like those, those were the information gets first because of the social aspect, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, researchers, they try to discuss about their research on Twitter mostly, where you can actually directly also ask them questions. Wow. And I mean, the, the more niche your research is, the more likely you are actually to find like this exact person that yeah. you want to talk to and him actually replying, right? Yeah. So, uh, okay. but it takes a lot of time to like right. keep up. Yeah. And uh, my last question, if an angel, maybe an angel investor um, gave you one million right now uh, in cash, what would you do with it? <laughs> well, it, it's growth. For, for us, it's like uh, we launched and we have very good numbers, um, but the scale we are right now with, with our money from coming from four students is just not what we could actually achieve having more investments, right? Mm -hmm. So this is ac actually the reason why we may start looking for cash investments because we, we have the product, we have the team, we have the timing. Now yeah. all we need is the, the reach, right? So it would probably go uh, 
80% of that cash into actually growth marketing and 20% into the team actually having uh, the luxury now to work full-time on the project instead of part-time. Right. Amazing. Well, uh, thanks a lot. That's the, that's the end of my questions. And uh, I just want to tell you, I really enjoyed this conversation. You're so into this. I learned so much and I hope all our listeners did as well. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. <laughs> awesome. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow or subscribe to the show on whatever platform you use. And don't forget to share this podcast with anyone interested in entrepreneurship, university student life, and the rising minds and technologies of the future, before they change the world. <laughs>